Good morning. Please follow along as we read Paul's letter to Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not be, she must not divorce him. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. We are going to talk about divorce today and what an incredible incredible chapter, those 13 verses of the chapter that we just read, they're absolutely fascinating. The first verse, as Jamie just read, it is not good for a man, is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, Bible scholars say that that is maybe the most abused and misused verse in the entire Bible, one of the most misunderstood in the entire Bible. What is so helpful to know as you read this first letter to the Corinthians is is that we have two letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. There was actually four or five letters. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that to say there's an ongoing communication back and forth. They are also communicating to Paul, we have none of those letters. This is critical to understand what's going on. So when he makes that statement about not having sex with a woman, what do... How do we interpret that? Is he advocating homosexuality? Uh, What's he advocating? Or is he quoting something they said? Think about it. What's being advocated there? So maybe he's simply quoting what they have said to him. Now, this is going to come into play in just a minute. We have to understand kind of really big picture 
what is going on in chapter 7 so we can get a handle, particularly on this area of divorce, which we're going to focus on. So I'm going to take just a few moments to pull way back to help us, maybe hopefully help us, to understand what is happening here so we can get a bearing on what does this have to do with divorce. I'll say one last thing before I get into it. How many times do you read in the Bible where Paul says in verse number 12, it's like he's writing all this stuff, and then he says, okay, let me step over here for a second. This is not God speaking. This is me. Did you catch that? I don't recall reading that anywhere else in Scripture. He's like, I want to take a time out. I'm just going, I need to say some things to you all. (laughs) This isn't God. This is all me. It's really extraordinarily interesting. I don't think we get that anywhere else in the Bible, at least that I can recall of at this moment. What's happening here? We have covered chapters 5 and 6, which were about the abuse of sex. Now we're on chapter 7, which is about refusing sex, okay? Abusing sex. Now chapter 7, refusing sex. Here's the incredible thing. Both the abusers have sex anytime, anywhere, anything I want, all over the place, right? If it moves, have sex with it, right? Over here. And these over here saying no sex at all, like no at all, not even in marriage, not at all, are both advocating their positions under the same philosophy. Is that wild or what? Both of them are saying the body is bad. They both agree the body is bad. And so those in chapters 5 and 6 say the the body is bad, 1 Corinthians 6.13. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, God will destroy them both. It's all going to burn. So supply your body with anything it wants. Make it feel good whenever it wants, as much as you can. Supply it, give it all. On the other side, refuse it, deny it. It's all going to burn. Go to a higher plane, right? A spiritually higher plane, deny yourself anything that feels good is bad. Anything that feels good is bad. Deny it. This is why, right on the heels of verse 13, right, where, where he says, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God's going to destroy them both. He says, then in verse 14, he starts talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does that, I mean, as you read chapter 6, like, whoa, how did we get there? Here's the whole idea. The philosophy was, is the physical world, including these bodies, the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, our physical bodies, all bad, all going to burn. God's going to start all over with something, right? And so supply it or deny it. This goes back to something. This is so critical to our understanding about God here, everybody. If we believe that way, things are not going to end well for any of us in this room. If you subscribe to that, things will not end well because that means if there's imperfection in anything, it's all going to burn up. And newsflash, none of us are perfect. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is God is a redeemer, he's a renewer, and he is a restorer. God is an environmentalist. Now, I know that that is a political phrase. Forget the politics. God is going to redeem and he's going to restore and God is going to renew. And why is that good news for us? Because no matter what we have done and how imperfect we are, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And we're talking about a difficult topic today, talking about divorce. Divorce is like a bomb that's gone off in somebody's life. 
I understand. We say, oh, yeah, but this person got casually divorced, whatever. All right. All right. That does happen. But for a lot of us in this room, we have directly experienced divorce because we ourselves have been through a divorce or we've indirectly experienced divorce because our parents were divorced, a close family member was divorced, a friend was divorced, and we've gone through that with them. And we have deep, deep wounds. And in the midst of those deep wounds, some people come along, right? Some people who are really about the Bible and really about spirituality, and they say things, don't they? And they say things under the guise of this is Bible, this is Scripture, this, and then it just, the, the wounds go deeper. So we want to have an understanding about this morning, and we want to talk about healing. Do a little bit of healing about this issue of divorce. Now, there were people who were refusing sex and divorcing, breaking up their marriages on the grounds of spirituality. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a sentiment that runs start to finish through the book of Corinthians. Paul says, in biting sarcasm and rhetoric, which was completely appropriate in the day, this is how they, this is how they communicate certain things. He, he says to them, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign in that without us. He is saying to them, you have arrived spiritually. Oh man, you are so far more spiritually advanced than me. You're the spiritual elite ones. And that's the way they felt about themselves. He ends by saying, you're, you're, you're very arrogant. They thought they were so arrogant that they were beyond physical love and they were beyond, for, for some of them, this is what the chapter's about, marriage. They thought they had gone beyond marriage. They were too spiritual to be married and they, some, were seeking a divorce. You see what it says in Matthew twenty two thirty. Jesus Christ speaking, he says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage they will be like the angels in heaven. So here's these angels in heaven. Wow, up in heaven. These people had thought that they were so spiritual, they're going to be like the angels in heaven, but they were already there now that they were seeking divorce because the angels aren't married in heaven. And we have already arrived. That's what he's saying at the beginning of the chapter. We've already arrived. We are really spiritual. I'm trying to make a strong point here about the people who were seeking the divorce in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay? Speculation is this. More than likely, if you'll read these 5, 6, and 7 together, what is probably happening is wives are the ones that are seeking the divorce. Those who considered them spiritually advanced wives we're seeking the divorce. We read in chapter 6 that husbands in the church were arguing for the rights to go to prostitutes. And we're thinking, oh, well, they're just being jerks, right? All right. They, they are being jerks. However, there's more to the story than that, isn't it? So if you have a wife says to the husband, I am so spiritual that, you know, the conjugal love stuff, that's not happening anymore on the grounds of spirituality, right? So he comes and says, Okay, then I'm going to argue for the right to go to a prostitute. Does that start to make more sense? The overlap, the intersection of, not a good word to use right now. Okay, is that, is that, is that help you to understand chapters six and seven? The very practical things that are going on here and they're playing off of each other. What I want you to hear this, everybody, in chapter seven, 
we talk about people who get to divorce, and a lot of times it's people that say, okay, well, they're just not spiritually advanced. I need you to know this. In chapter 7, it's the spiritual elite, it's the spiritually advanced, it's the people who really know their Bible, and these are the ones that are seeking the divorce. They're seeking it on spiritual grounds. We're above and beyond this, okay? So with that, okay, understanding in our heads, now let's just go straight into divorce. I have three questions. Is divorce a sin? Is divorce a sin? Question one. Question two, is remarriage adultery? So if somebody has been married, get a divorce, they remarry again, are they forever an adulterer? Question three, are divorced people less spiritual? What we've just really spent a lot of time kind of talking about in a roundabout way. Are divorced people less spiritual? Now, ready? Our relationship with God in the Bible, everybody, is pictured as a marriage. Let's read Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And all of a sudden, Paul says, but I'm not talking about, but, but, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I'm not talking about husband. I'm talking about husband wives, but all of a sudden, I'm not talking about husband wives. What I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Speaking to the church, I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Now, a lot of us are just really okay with that. You know, I'm married to Jesus. It must, like, doesn't cause you a problem. I, I need you to know that there are some of us in this room me included, when I'm married to Jesus, it just, something doesn't, you know, it just, it's not okay for me, all right? It's that, I doesn't like, ooh, yes, I'm so happy I'm married to Jesus. Um, that really means a lot of things, which we don't have time to go into. I simply want to say, to put the picture in your mind, that clearly throughout Scripture, we are seen as followers of believers in Jesus Christ that we're married to Christ. Revelation 19 ends with a wedding ceremony. This is what it says. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, when you want to know anything in this world today, what do you do? Anything you want to know in this world, what do you do? You Google it, exactly. So I needed to know whether or not divorce is sin. So I Googled it to find out. Did you see the Time Magazine a couple weeks ago, the thing about Google? Google is planning to solve death. Did anybody see that on the cover of Time? Google is going to solve. It's, it's incredible, man. I wonder if they can solve peace, the peace issue. That would be even better than death, I think, in some cases. But whatever, they're going to solve death. So I Googled it, and I said, let me find out whether it is. And here's what Google told me. It said, okay, here's the first website, John, that you need to look at to figure out whether or not divorce is a sin. I clicked on it, and just so I wouldn't miss it, you know what I'm saying? They put on the website a massive banner, and it was like in flashing red. Boom, boom. And it just said, divorce is a sin. Boom, boom, divorce is a sin. All right, so I'm really clear that divorce is a sin. And then underneath it, it said, Jesus plainly taught that divorce only happens, please listen to the words, only happens because of the hardness of your hearts. Okay, every person that gets divorced has a hard heart. 
according to Matthew 19.8. Second website that Google, the master of the world, told me to go and look at, I clicked on it, and it said, if you remarry, you are committing adultery. So now I've answered a couple of my questions right off the bat. I know that if I get divorced, I'm a sinner with a hard heart, and if I get remarried, I'm committing adultery. What are the valid reasons, everybody, the biblically valid reasons for getting a divorce? Well, we see this in the Bible, and I've heard this all my life growing up in church. Death. If your spouse dies, even the Bible says in that case, it is okay to get a divorce. Like the Bible says, we don't want you to remain married to a dead spouse because we understand communication, very difficult to happen with when they're, when they're dead. And, uh, you know, warm words, even warm touch, you know, we like to cuddle. That's not going to happen anymore. There's a lot of issues when your spouse is dead uh, to get anything out of them. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, my spouse is dead, and I'm already dealing with that now. Um, that was a joke, but you all didn't get it. <laughs> it's the second issue that has become really clear is this issue of adultery. And it's sad, I understand it, but it's sad, but I've heard people say, I just wish my spouse would go ahead and have an affair so I could be biblically clean, so I could be divorced. This is just, I mean, you just don't feel good about this on any level, all right? On any level. Um, I feel like I'm free and I can remarry because my spouse has so deeply rejected me and been unfaithful to me and broken my heart. Now I'm free to marry. (laughs) It just doesn't, you know, it's just bad all around. Everything's bad. Death is bad. The affair is bad. It's just bad. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Are there any other valid reasons that we can see in the scriptures to get a divorce? I just want you to look at Exodus 21. Exodus 21 is a case law, okay? I'm not going to, I just woke up a bunch of lawyers in the room. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go in over my head. I'm not a lawyer. I did contact a lawyer this week to make sure I was at least had some idea of what I was talking about. Um, This is a case law situation I'm getting ready to share with you. There's statute law, there's case law, this is a case law. There are a lot of statutes in the Bible, and a lot of cases in the Bible, this is a case. And that's important for us to know. It's talking about a man who's married, and now he he marries a second wife. So we're we're talking about polygamy. I just want to say this. We're talking about divorce here. I just want to address polygamy. Some people think the Bible, for some reason, says polygamy is okay. If for some reason somebody's told you that Bible upholds polygamy or you think yourself that Bible upholds it, I have to say this to you. Please read deeper or something because the Bible like totally shoots that down and massive and you have to connect those dots yourself. I'm not going to connect them here now. The Bible is like totally against polygamy, clearly, okay? It's not for it. This guy is a polygamist. He's married a woman. Now he's married another one. How she treat the first wife, all right? There we go, Exodus 21. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one, the first wife of, here it comes, three things, food, clothing, and marital rights, which is conjugal love, conjugal love, physical intimacy. If he does not provide her with these three things, she's free to go. What does free to go mean? It means she has a valid divorce. 
without any payment for money. Rabbis looked at this situation on case law, which is guided by principle, guided by principles of the case. They looked at it and says, under some circumstances, if a spouse has been abused or neglected, and these three important areas, which are three principles, again, food, clothing, sex, if that happens, there can be room for a valid divorce in this case. This is what the rabbis concluded based off of Exodus chapter 21, if there's neglect. Now, these areas of food, clothing, and sex deal with things that they, they touch our emotions. So we're talking about very emotional things, physical, emotional, sexual, provisional, right? How are you being provided for? All right. Are divorced people less spiritual? Remember our question that we're dealing with today? Are divorced people less spiritual? Are divorced people, cross the board, spiritually hard-hearted people, and that's why they are divorced? Did you know that God is a divorcee? Do you realize that God has been divorced? I, I don't know of anybody more spiritual than God. I don't know anybody who has a softer heart than God. And before we just quickly, right from the hip, start throwing out all kinds of dogmatic words, we, we just need to back up. God, clearly, in the Bible, has had a divorce. Jeremiah 3.8, God speaking. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away. God's divorce is covered in a few different places in the Bible, but nowhere is it more graphically covered than Ezekiel chapters 16 and 23. And I mean it is graphic. If you have never read those two chapters, take a moment hopefully not right now for the next 15 minutes that I'm speaking, but jot it down, go home, and read Ezekiel chapters 16 and 23. You are going to read some things in there that are going to say, that's in the Bible? It's pretty graphic. God has been through a divorce. It's covered in Isaiah. It's covered in Jeremiah. These guiding principles that we find in Exodus 21... Do we see these guiding principles, this case law situation, are they represented in any way, shape, or form in God's divorce, which is covered in Ezekiel chapter 16? And I want to set this up and I'll walk you through three fill-in-the-blanks. We talk about these three guiding principles. A little bit of history, little tiny bit of history. Israel, when they went into the promised land, when they went into the promised land, they're there, they have all kinds of problems. At one point, um, there's a break in the kingdom. After Solomon, his son Rehoboam takes power, and the kingdom splits. The northern kingdom is made up of ten tribes. The southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is, is made up of two tribes, Judah, Benjamin. Benjamin gets absorbed. We don't know where Benjamin is, gets absorbed. All we know about is Judah now. Jesus Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? And we think, look, Judah, Judah was a bad guy. I don't mean bad like he's bad, you know. I mean, 
He was bad. And I'm not going to take the time to go through things that he did, things that he did with his, his own daughter-in-law and how he abused and mistreated her and all that mess went through, okay? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is, thank God he is a redeemer. He would, have, he, he would have killed Judah for all that Judah had done. So we have this break, and what Ezekiel 16 talks about, right, is these two sisters, Ezekiel 16 and 23, two sisters. And the sisters are, in this situation, northern kingdom, Israel, which received a divorce from God, and Judah, the other sister, who God was said, I'm ready to divorce you and stop short. Read the book of Hosea. The Old Testament prophet Hosea. God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go out and I want you to marry an adulterous woman. He marries this woman. He's honest to her. He's true to her. He loves her, treats her well. And she sleeps around all over the place on him. And uh, they have some kids. They, he, he names one of his kids, not mine. How would you like to name one of your kids that? Eventually, I mean, she just gives herself away to, 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 to everybody. And um, that was punishable by, by death in the Old Testament. And God says, no, you're, you're not going to have her stoned. You're, you're not going to kill her. And she gets in such a bad situation that she is, she is in, she's in slavery. She's been in, now she's literally she's enslaved. And God says to the prophet Hosea, who's been miserably embarrassed, by what his wife's done for the whole world to see. Now I want you to go and buy her out of slavery and treat her with love and gentleness. So God's been through a divorce. Ezekiel 16. We got how they get into the marriage in the beginning. It's what the first part covers. Do we see the three things represented? Here we go. Number one, fill in the blank. Faithful love. Faithful love. This is a very sensual scene. So we're thinking of sensuality we're thinking of conjugal love that is expressed here uh we see the same thing represented in in exodus 21 so this god his relationship with the sister i spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body if you've read the book of ruth in the old testament before all of a sudden boom uh, okay yep because same thing happened there with boaz covering ruth uh with his garment it's a very sensual scene. It, it, it talks about commitment, talks about honor, and all of that. And you see that bear out in the rest of this verse. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So God says, here's what I'm offering. And so you know this, the, the, Jewish marriage vows parallel these three things for years. Jewish marriage vow parallels these three things we're talking about right here. Number one, God offers that. Number two, what does he offer? Ezekiel 16.10, clothing. I clothed you. I'm going to be faithfully committed to you in love, number one. Number two, I'm going to clothe you. Number three, food. God says your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. Now, what is really interesting, everybody, if you're tracking, we've got Exodus 21, this case law situation, and God talks about in his kind of marriage vows, in his wooing of this bride of his, Israel, he says, I'm going to offer you these three things, which parallel what we see in Exodus 21. Now, God gets a divorce. Why does he get a divorce from Israel? What happened? Ezekiel 16, starting in verse number 15. 
but you. What does the spouse do? But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. Unfaithful love. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments. Here, there's the clothes. You took some of your garments, which he gave to her, to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Also, the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil, and honey I gave you to eat. You offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happens happened, declares the Lord. Is that very interesting to you? We see this situation in Exodus 21. We talk about these three things. God in the wooing of the bride at the beginning of Ezekiel 16 talks about these three things. And now we see the divorce beginning to happen and these three things are again named. There is abuse here and there's neglect. and it's All of this going on and it's surrounding three things that touch a person provisionally and emotionally and all of that that's happening. I just think that is very fascinating. Um, I want to conclude by saying this. Some of us in this room have experienced divorce. And because of that, we feel uh, terribly rejected. We feel hurt, pain, as I said in the beginning, it's like a relational bomb has gone off. And to make matters worse, maybe somebody has come along quoting a Bible verse. And that has only deepened your pain. We're going to talk more about divorce next week. Yippee. I only want to deal with one thing this morning. And the one thing I want to deal with is this. The hurt and pain that is associated with a divorce. I want to talk to those of us in this room who have experienced ourselves or somebody close to us experience. And I want to talk to those of us in this room who are quick to throw a Bible verse out and make a snap judgment on somebody who is going through divorce because we have some kind of biblical grounds to say, hey, dogmatically, you're wrong. And I fully understand. I'm, I'm not naive. That some people go through divorce and the reasons are completely invalid. I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about hurt, pain, abuse. And those of you who experience it directly, and I'm talking about people who are so quick to throw out an opinion. Somebody who is divorced is not a second-class spiritual citizen. I do not consider God a second-class spiritual citizen. They are not damaged goods. Though a lot of times they feel that way. God identifies with us in everything we go through. That's what, was, that's what is said about Jesus Christ, everybody. Even in something so difficult as a divorce. And all of the rejection, pain, and hurt, and accusation that goes along with that. Today we're going to have communion. And what has been on my heart all week, communion is a very powerful moment. If we can slow ourselves down enough, slow our, everything racing through our heads, God is with us in a communion service like we're getting ready to have. 
in a very, very special way. Very special way. Some commentators, Bible scholars have said, you know, it's during communion that the presence of Jesus Christ is with us in a way that God is not with us at any other time. God just like opens the heavens. He comes down and visits with us. Your heart, if it's been hurt and you feel rejected in pain, my prayer today for all of us who are in that situation because you've directly had a divorce or somebody close to you has, is that in these moments, could you open your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to work his wonderful healing power, heal those pains, heal those scars of things that you've been through in these next few moments of communion. During the communion time, our prayer team is going to be over here. They are over here not to judge. They are over here to pray. And if you would like prayer, they are there for you and would love to pray with you for God's healing hand on you. This divorce issue hurts so deeply. I know numerous people whose parents have gone through a divorce and it just totally, the trajectory of their lives radically got altered because of that. It's like a bomb going off. Many of us are in that boat here today whose parents have been through something like that. Communion here at Grace is Jesus' table. It's not my table. It's not Grace Community Church's table. It is the table of Jesus Christ. He extends grace to all. Our communion is open to everybody. It is a moment to experience the mercy and the grace of a holy God, which is amazing. In a moment after I pray, we're going to have people come to five different positions here, and you're more than welcome to take communion, or you can just stay in your seat, whatever you'd like to do. They're going to have a plate that has bread on it, and you'll take that small piece of bread the broken body of Jesus Christ, broken for us, the divorced body of Jesus Christ. And you'll take it and you'll dip it into the cup, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that there's nothing God would not do for us. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ means. It means there's nothing he would not do for us. And that is all borne out on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to come, take communion, and open your heart to the healing of God. So I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up, and they're going to play a song while we take communion. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, God, that you help us through very difficult circumstances. There are those of us in this room who have been hurt terribly because we have either directly experienced divorce or indirectly experienced divorce. And something inside of us just sometimes just want to let the world know, hey, here's what really happened. And there's no way to do that. And there's all this pain and hurt. And sometimes accusation is wrapped up in one big ball that just festers inside of us. Lord, I just want to ask, as we take 
this bread, Jesus, your broken body, and this cup, would you reach down inside of us and grab a hold of that festering ball that is so wounded in us, and would you just pull it out? As we experience your mercy and grace this morning in this communion ceremony, Lord, open the windows of heaven and pour out your healing power. and Help us. Merciful God, help us. In Christ's holy name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.